Hey everyone, great to be here with you. Thank you so much for listening to the show. And I have an ad, it's actually an ad for myself. Uh, it is to let you know that my new book is out. It's called Rest, Refocus, Recharge, A Guide for Optimizing Your Life, published by Harper Collins. Very, very excited about this. Took a long time to write and research and pull together. Um, it was super challenging, but I'm really happy with how where we landed on it. Basically, this is all came coming out of a place where when we did the ripple effect, it was great, but everyone would speak to me afterwards and be like, these ideas are awesome, but I'm just so busy, I don't have time. So what I wanted to do was to provide everyone with ideas for how to integrate these ideas about health, well-being, high performance into your life in a very, very easy, very, very um, tactical way that you can actually integrate. So for example, taking a couple of breaths to relax or to calm down if you're stressed, or what are some super healthy snacks that you can use in the middle of the day that are easy, cheap, and fast to make, or how do you take a great vacation uh, and completely disconnect? And then we grounded all of that in the latest science around neurophysiology and how the brain works to optimize creativity, learning, problem solving, and concentration. So if any of that sounds interesting to you, if you're psyched to hear, learn more and to explore those ideas, I would be infinitely grateful if you wanted to pick up a copy of the book. It's available at Amazon in Canada and the States. Just search Greg Wells and Rest, Refocus, Recharge, and you'll find it. It's also on Indigo um, and all of the bookstores in Canada if you want to check that out. Uh, Neil Pasricha, the number one best-selling author of You Are Awesome, described it as a prescription for space in a world of noise. So really pleased to um, have had that little support moment from from Neil and he's been on the show if you want to check him out. So thanks for considering it. Really appreciate it. I'm really proud of the book. I know it's going to be super helpful for you. So if you want to pick up a copy, I'd greatly appreciate it. All right, let's get back to the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. Great to have you here. It is Greg Wells, and I am super psyched to have you here for another episode of my podcast. Crazy times, pandemic times, and over the last six or seven days, also the time we are as a society confronting systematic racism that exists around the world and exists in the United States. It exists in Canada, Australia, the UK. New Zealand, and many other countries as well. So um, there's a lot going on, multiple pandemics, and we're confronting all of this. I also want to make sure that I am confronting this as well and listening, um, asking the questions, learning, and doing better. And I have not done well, and I will do better. Um, and so to that note, I'm engaging with people on this podcast who can elevate all of us and who can bring awareness and understanding and help us to find a clear path forward. It's not just in terms of our own personal physical health, which is what I normally speak about, but also in terms of our progress as a society. And um, I think that we need to have these conversations. We need to change things and we need to dismantle the systematic racism that exists in our world to that end, I wanted to speak to and very privileged and honored to speak to my friend, Dr. Ivan Joseph, who's award-winning performance coach. He's a leadership and cultural transformation expert. 
Let me tell you about tell you a little bit about Dr. Joseph. Dr. Ivan jo Joseph inspires people and teams to achieve more than they dreamed. He is an award-winning coach, educator, and leader. Dr. Joseph has spent his career leading cultural transformation, helping people believe in themselves and creating cohesive teams. He speaks about self-confidence, the embracing of grit to persevere in the face of setbacks, and leading dynamic teams to success, drawing on the lessons he's learned from a life in sport. He served as a professor and soccer coach at Graceland University, and while there, he developed the soccer program from the ground up. In just five years, he led both the men's and women's teams to the number one national ranking and helped the men's team win their first ever national championship. As a result, he was recognized by the National Association of Intercollegiate Athletics in the United States as the national coach of the year in 2006. As director of athletics at Ryerson University, Dr. Joseph led the athletic program to national prominence. The Ryerson Rams won provincial and national championships for the first time in the institution's history while achieving GPAs higher than the student body average. Dr. Joseph also spearheaded the landmark $100 million renovation of the historic and beloved Maple Leaf Gardens, which we speak about. In his, and in this new culture of belonging and pride across Ryerson's diverse urban campus, student athletes broke records with their athletic, academic, and outreach activities. He is currently the Vice Provost of Student Affairs at Dalhousie University, where he leads the university's effort to promote interconnectedness and belonging amongst a diverse student body drawn from people across the country and around the globe. His TEDx talk has more than 19 million views, where he speaks about the impact that he has had on people. Forbes named it one of the 10 best TED Talks about the meaning of life. He contributes regularly to publications, including the Huffington Post and Globe and Mail. He's the author of the best-selling book, You've Got This, Mastering the Skill of Self-Confidence. He has a BA in Physical Education and Health, a Master's in Higher Education Administration, and a PhD in Sports Psychology. And if that doesn't make you feel bad about yourself, I don't know what will. Kind of makes everyone's bio seem a little sketchy. Anyway, super honored and thrilled to have my friend and incredible leadership and cultural transformation guru, Dr. Ivan Joseph. Please enjoy this very powerful conversation. Possibly, I think, along with Orlando Bowen last week, um, the two most important conversations I've ever had on this podcast. Dr. Ivan Joseph, welcome, buddy. Thank you so much for coming on the show. My pleasure, Greg. Thanks for having me. Um, I, we were just talking offline before we started that the last time that we saw each other was, you know, crossing paths in an airport. So it's nice to have an hour to spend together and just like really dig into some, you know, getting caught up. I'm looking forward to it as well. So um, obviously, you know, my original plans for what we were going to talk about have been upended by the events of the last week. And, you know, being a, a white privileged guy in Toronto, I need to um, start listening and I want to start doing something. So I want to march, I want to be involved, I want to support, um, I want to help people. And so I've just got to ask, like, how are you doing this week? And um, I just want to listen, how, but I'm concerned. So I'm just like, how are you, how are you doing? Yeah, thanks for asking, Greg. And, and I think it's, um, you always start with uh, kindness when you outreach and it, and it shares your compassion. And, and so um, those of us are, who are people of color, and for your listeners who don't know that, I'm. I'm a man from the Caribbean. I was born in Guyana, South America, um, and I identify as a Caribbean man. And, and so it's one of my many identities, as well as a Canadian and a scholar and all of those things. 
Um, I went to school in the States. I went to school in the Midwest, Missouri. And, and I share you with, with that story because um, in Missouri, there's that, you know, there was a color line there. And, and many people don't know uh, right there on the Iowa-Missouri border. I went to Graceland University, two miles from Missouri. We knew there was a restaurant that you couldn't eat at. It was, that was where the Klan gathered. And when we played soccer in certain games, me and another African-American man that was on that team, we didn't change in that place because we, our whole team got out. And that's not that long ago. That was like early 90s. And so while, you know, it's been a tough week for all of us of color, I think it's interesting, and, and we kind of talked about this, is that I also have a PhD, and I'm, I have a great job and a VP title, and, and, and yet I still experience these same things that everybody are fighting for, the systemic challenges of racism. And so it's hard not to also be angry with the folks that are coming out to support us. And that's a tough spot to be in because you know, people are asking just like you are, how can I help, how can I support? And I'm like, my first reaction is, well, what the hell are you doing here? Where have you been all this time? 100%. Right? Like, what the hell? And then I see this institution, my university making this statement, another institution making this statement, the NFL making this statement. And then I also, I have to battle through it. It's like, hypocrite, hypocrite. Because that's where I want to go to. I'm like, where were you when Kaepernick was kneeling? Yeah. When you got all together, all you folks, you right, which white folks smoking your cigars in your room, how come you didn't come then, right? Or as I sit here and I try and navigate the challenges of a first and only black man in a leadership position at my university, and I feel being treated differently all the time, where were you then? And then I got to let go of that anger. And you're hearing it come through my screen. At it's you. good, man. Let her, let her rip. I'm here. You got to let go <laughs> okay. of that anger. I and serve have, it. It's cool. Right? You got to recognize you got to start somewhere. And the people who are showing up want to help. And it may have taken them longer to get there. It may have taken them, you know, somebody dying, unfortunately, for them to be awoken. But it is, it is still them coming to be allies. Mm-hmm. And you can't keep them at a side and say, what are you doing? It's, you got to... You have, a, you have a role to play in helping them, help yourselves, helping to change the system and the institutions we are a part of. Uh, that's helpful to hear. And, you know, a few years ago when Kaepernick kneeled down, I posted, and again, I'm not even equating me posting something on, on social media with do, actually doing anything, but I did post the Nike ad and I said, this is what historically correct looks like. And I got absolutely crushed on Facebook by a lot of people um, to the point where I was like, whoa, I was like, just uh, whatever, I, I'm out. Made my point, I'm, I'm out. And I mean, I had that luxury of being able to be like, well, I'm just gonna ignore this for a while and forget about it. And then um, I also had, you know, I, I'm, and I'm just sort of saying like where my mindset was and the shift that's happened is like, I was like, well, Canada's not that bad. We don't have as much systematic racism here. Every single, um, you know, indigenous person in Canada would look at me and be like, where, where have you been? Um, and um, I think that I, the awakening that has happened for me is the deep understanding that of, of the systematic racism that has occurred for generations, redlining of, you know, communities that are not allowed to get mortgages. Therefore, you cannot generate wealth within a family like I'm now you're not allowed to get a loan from a bank therefore you cannot send your kids to school like I'm now beginning to understand that what privilege really means which is that yeah my mom and dad worked so hard I've worked so hard but it's easy for me it's easier for me 
And that is what needs to get broken down. And we all need to have access to whatever it takes for us to reach our potential. And none of that can or should be based upon the color of our skin. And that's the systematic change that I want to try somehow to help make happen now that I have woken up and I'm no longer willing to sit on the sidelines and I will make these statements and I will have these arguments with my friends and yeah, on and on and on. And I get, I fully recognize I'm not even remotely close to being anywhere I need to be on this discussion. So anyway, I appreciate you listening to me figure this out on the, on a call. And I, and I like what you said too, is um, because that's people's reactions. When you first got in there, it was like, whoa, this, this place is hot. I'm getting out. And you know, you know, my, my, my business partner, Sonny, who you just were just talking to, you know, her brother is a big social activist and he was talking to her about, cause she was going to a, a protest and, and she wants her kids to go. And so they can be educated and be aware. And, and her brother was saying to her, and it's like, Hey, okay, if you're going to go, go, but don't go in and out. Right. Like if you're going, don't just be, do this as a tourist. Yeah. Right. And that's the piece, right. Is that if you're going to go and you're going to be an ally and you're going to go to the protest, it's not the social Instagram moment that you're going for. Yeah. It's going because you want to be in it and you're staying in it because we need your help. Right? Yeah. Say we as the collective group of people, whether you're Caribbean, African-American, indigenous, um, whatever it is that you might be and how you might identify that's not as privileged, you know, we need the consistent momentum to continue this progress that's starting to, to take really strong root here. How are you using your expertise like looking at problems in different ways, like you're, you're, you've written about confidence. Uh, my son, by the way, says, I've got this all the time, largely because I read your book and I was like, and he's like, he's five. He's like, I got this dad, I got this. And it's because of your book, so thank you. But like, are you finding that, like, how are you using your expertise to like impact this situation? Or just like, how are you, how are you thinking about your expertise in this world that hopefully this new world that we can create together and hopefully it happens fast. I know it's not going to, but I, you know, how yeah. do we leverage your expertise to make this happen even better? Well, for sure. And you have to recognize that, you know, I speak about confidence. I speak about high performing teams. I speak about um, how you change behavior. And, and the, a big piece of that is the power of what we call in the world of sports psychology cohesion. Mm -hmm. And cohesion at the root of it, like, okay, you can use the, the technical term of, you know, how things stick together or my layman's term, but really it's about the power of relationships. And when, when you can create cohesion, when people know that they matter, when they know that they belong, and when you understand how, what makes people tick, how they work, how they fit together, then we're willing to look past the differences to, to, because we understand what is at the root of people's hearts what's at the root of people's souls. And that is at the essence where all this conflict is about. We don't know people, we don't understand people. And that drives not just conflict, it drives also inefficiencies in the workplace, um, problems in your, in your high performing teams, dysfunctional relationships with your partner, um, issues and challenges with your friends. And so that's the one thing I always talk about when I speak about high performing teams is really critical is, don't start with the technical skills, start with the people, because people need to know that they matter and they belong. So we're talking about like deep empathy, seek to understand before being understood. Mm -hmm. And this leads to some of the stuff I've been seeing online where people like, you know, well, they shouldn't be 
you know, um, looting. And I'm like, well, why? I'm for the first time really asking the question, like, why, why is there so much anger? Like, why is the, instead of saying like, you shouldn't do that. Like, why don't we ask a different question? Like, why is there so much fury? Like, let's understand the root and the heart and the, and the soul of this issues so that we can truly actually start making systematic change and, and make decisions differently to anyway, I don't even know what the two is to be honest yeah. with you, but like, yeah, I think it's, so it's, it's leading down a different road and that compassion, empathy and understanding is the key. And let's be clear when we say they shouldn't be looting, right? That is a common refrain we hear recognize that they are deviant behaviors on, on, on no matter what your color is, your gender is. And if 100%. we look at the bell curve, right? we can choose to focus on that small tail at the very end. And they're people of both races and all genders, or not both, all races, all yeah. genders, are the ones that are creating some deviant criminal behavior. Yes. But if you look at the majority of the, of the African Canadians, African Americans, Caribbean, Indigenous, the, the, the Caucasian, the Europeans, whoever are joining that protest, they are peacefully protesting. And so we could get distracted by the narrative. Look at those black people, they're terrorists, they're rooting, they deserve this, they're killing each other. Yeah. Or we can say, what are the 99% of people doing? And they're asking to be heard. And we need to listen. Yes. I'm deeply appreciative, Ivan, of you taking the, like allowing me to have this conversation with you because I know it can't be easy and, um, I'm figuring things out on the go. So I, I, you know, I'm just trying to understand and I feel horrific that I haven't done more up until this point, but you know, you can't never look back upon, on your, on you, I don't think you can look back. You just have no. to look forwards. Right. So Absolutely. that's also part of the whole idea of like persevering in despite of, of setbacks that you've talked about before, like how, you know, moving forwards and making progress and having a positive influence and, you know, that, that's a, I think that's hopefully what we can all, I especially want to try to do moving forwards. Man, Craig, you're good at weaving my themes into this kind of deep conversation. I oh. actually prepared so hard for this one. I was like, I cannot, <laughs> I cannot screw this one up. This is the one podcast I'm getting ready for this year. I got to get ready. You know, I will say this, um, no matter whether you're a high performer or you're a person that's, um, that isn't what I'll call a, a marginalized or an underrepresented group. We know that we're gonna experience failure. You know, um, black men, black kids, we have the mantra that our mothers teach us. Twice as good, twice as good, twice as good. We are, that has been burned into my soul that I know that I have to be twice as good to be considered for every opportunity, right? I got to, when, when, and, 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 and that is not like, some magical thing we know that like we, that is as as novel to to white folks as like, like unicorns but you ask any black man that is a that a mantra that they know right and 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 you know my son the other day did a joke or a practical joke where he stole a menu from a restaurant because all his friends were stealing menus from restaurants right and they like and you know listen i gave him the lecture which is you don't get the luxury of doing the same things your rich white folks get to do. You don't, right? You have to be twice as good because there's reasons and people that will be looking at you and looking at you to catch mistakes versus to praise your, your things you do. 
And so we have to recognize that that twice as good will mean we have, will experience more setbacks. We will experience more rejections. We will experience more things getting turned away. And we could get angry or we could take that in and say, yeah, you're right. I'm never going to be good enough. I've never got it. Or we could change the way we frame it. Well, they don't know what I can do. Yeah, hell's to the no, mm. right? Well, I'll show them. Mm -hmm. The other day I was getting ready to pick up my ball and go home from work because literally I was having a tough time. There's yeah. challenges always. And I reminded myself, right, is that these folks don't get to define who I am. Yep. Right? And so, you know, I, and I, you, you're in this space. We, we talk about the, the, the thoughts that how they influence our beliefs, how they influence our actions. You know, pretty soon, I, if I let people define who I am, I will start to believe it. Yes. And so it's, you know, whatever the thought stopping exercise, the centering exercise that I do. And for me, it's just like deep breath in my two claps, change that frame of mind and away I go. I've been talking a lot about crafting, um, reimagining the future and not going back to normal. Yeah. And it's amazing that this pandemic has happened. This awakening has happened and it's just more more of the fact that we need to reimagine the future. Now is our opportunity. Now is the time. Now is our time. And it's time for all of us to, you know, I thought before it was like, just reimagine your life. The pandemic has wiped away all your schedules and you're like, you know, your kids activities have been canceled. And now I'm like, holy shit, we got to rebuild the world, like tear it all down and rebuild it. And so I'm wondering what are your thoughts around like, how do we, how do we, re if we could, you and I are, you know, vision, we're visioneering the future now. We're going to fight our way through this. We're going to craft a future. We're going to draw, walk over and paint the bullseye towards which we will shoot the arrow. Like where, where are we, where can we take this? Like, and everyone listening at, in their own individual ways can make a micro difference. So I would love for us to like, just think about like, how do we, how do we move forwards? Like, what do we do? What do we, what can we do right now? And maybe over the next five to 10 years, systematically to open up the world to opportunity for every single person based upon their own unique individual potential. I love this question. And, uh, you know, it's a great question. And, and, and again, I'll go back to the thing that you said, which is that 1% deal, right? That I don't make these big grandiose ideas because I, I want to drive it home. At a, at, a, at a micro level where everybody's individual and accountable. And also, mm -hmm. let me say it this way. I'm in the field of education, and I'm a big believer that education is the route to change behavior. Um, wherever, whenever you can start, it is, it is, you know, my dad came here from Guyana, South America. Um, on my, you know, my grandmother is an in, was an indentured servant from India. My great ancestors were Nigerian. Um, they were slaves that were brought over to, 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 to Guyana. And, and my dad came and got a McGill education and changed our life. And I am now vice president of the university and my kids can go and do whatever they want. And that was all stemmed from sacrifices. And so your question really is, is, is what, how can I in my position create access and opportunity for people to, to get access to education where I can remove the systemic barriers of, of money or, or socioeconomic status or take away the rural isolation. We are now this fall making all classes online, right? And probably 80 to 90% of universities in North America are gonna be online. 
imagine if I could find a way to start a movement where, you know what, you're teaching 100 students online, allow 10 students to join in any class, then they don't have to get it for credit. There's no more cost for doing that. Let them have access to your information as a, as a means to create societal good. You want to learn about engineering? Yes, come. You want to learn about how to set a bank account? Check. You want to learn about goal setting? Check. You want to learn about how to be healthy? Check. You want to learn about more about indigenous ways of learning, about African-American and cultural messages? All these classes are being taught everywhere. They're being taught online. Could we perhaps say, I'm going to let 10 people, no matter where they are in the world, join for free? They don't have to come. We don't have to house them. We don't have to feed them. There's no, there's no greater cost for this. They watch it right here. Yes, right? Could we do that? And so I say that because I think the future of education will never go back to the way it was. And so if we could figure out ways to create more access and more opportunities for people and be really intentional in how we program these opportunities, good things will happen for people. Because at the end of that, education breeds awareness. And awareness then allows people to decide or move towards action. What do we need to, when you say be intentional about access, let's talk about that a little bit because that's the actual, the nuts and the bolts. And as I'm, as you're speaking, I'm like, okay, so I've got all these online courses I've just built because I've had to pivot my company to digital because I'm not public speaking anymore. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Right. So I'm like, could I make those available to specific schools in different regions of the world and for free? I easily could. No problem. So imagine, Greg, if you just decided, you know, I've got my revenue arm right here. You know, I'm going to make whatever it is. I got to feed my family. I got to, you know, I got to pay my rent and mortgage and my employees. But you know what? I'm going to choose these three indigenous reservations right here and these two historically black colleges right here. And I'm going to say, come along, anybody in the 18 to 25 age group who would like to join my class, it's free for you, right? Now you're intentionally targeting the underrepresented people who would not have access to a Dr. Greg Wells, who may not even know that you exist and the amazing work that you're doing in the world of high performance. And you're not only going to enlighten and engage them, but you might light a spark that might cause them to take on this same career path that you have and change the world they're part of. You want to talk about a ripple effect, right? Mm -hmm. There it is right there. Wow. And I think that all of us can do that in some way, shape or form with some aspect of whatever it is that we're, what we are passionate about, whether that's you love painting, whether that's you love music, whether you like, and technology has now liberated us to be able to do that anywhere in the world at any time at infinite scale, um, and that's like this, we've almost had like five to 10 years of progress in technology compressed into three months through the pandemic to set us up for this moment where this awakening has occurred. And now we can actually yeah. open up access through technology. I would even take it even simpler than that, Greg, um, to your 1%, the next time you're walking on the sidewalk, don't cross the street when a black guy walks by. The next time you're in an elevator, don't get off first on the floor that's not your floor, right? The next time you have an opportunity to sit beside your colleague who looks like you and your colleague who doesn't look like you, choose the one who doesn't look like you. That's the 1%. Those simple little steps will make a huge difference. 
So one of the things I've been doing is um, I've just been greeting people a lot more. Like I've yeah. always, like I'm just greeting people so deliberately to try to make people feel welcome. And wherever I happen to be, and I know it freaks some people out. They're like, ah, yeah. like I'm like, I look at them in the eye, I'm like, hey, how's it going? And they're like, ah, right? But it's just like, I'm just like, hi, how are you? Just, how are you? I'm happy. I'm not like, I'm not going to kill you. No gun. But like, yeah. I'm just like saying hi to people and it's trying, trying to wel welcome people wherever I am, even if it's an airport. It's like, hey, you know, how's it going? And I think that's mm -hmm. micro thing I'm trying to do. Yeah. It's funny you're saying that because I noticed with the onset of COVID and as people created social distancing, not only did they social distance, but their level of friendliness and eye contact and willingness to greet people went with it, went away with it. And so it's like, oh, okay, avoid eye contact, social distance, social yeah. distance. Okay, no, do not engage. And I felt it. Um, you could feel the withdrawal of, of community when we started to social distance. So maybe um, one of the things we could think about is physical distancing, not social distancing. In yes. fact, do the opposite. Yes, absolutely. Social connection, social yeah. connection as much as possible. Yeah. Love it. I've got two young kids, 10 and five. You're too old for two young kids, my friend. <laughs> I started late. <laughs> Judith, is, Judith is infinitely better than me, and I just messed up for the first 40 years of my life. Your life is over. <laughs> it is. I am so tired trying to keep up there. Like, you should be having kids when you're a teenager, not when you're in your 40s. This is insane. Um, I am hopeful for the future for them, and I want to have great conversations with them. And um, I don't want them to. You know, um, I want them to have a positive future where they impact the world in a, in a good way. So I, I'm, I'm hopeful that this also enables me to be a better dad through all of this and to, and to help them live a better life and for them to break down barriers and for them to craft a better future and for this to be their time just as much as it is our time. Yeah, and I'll tell you, that won't happen by accident. I'm, I'm hoping that you're having... Um, whatever the age appropriate conversation is for them around the dinner table. Yeah. Because I think those are the things like there's a lot for them to take on and they're seeing it, but what, and how are parents talking? And I think, you know, I thought, I thought Sesame street did a nice job of trying to explain COVID to little kids, mm. but, but nobody's coming forward to say, how do we explain what's going on to little kids? How do they see what's happening and what intentional, again, that fancy word intentional really, in, what are we saying to our kids? as they navigate and process all these images that they're seeing or hearing. So on that note, I'm a physiologist. So when Ingrid and Adam were talking to me about COVID, I was all over it. Yeah. I'm like, this is a virus. This is how it infects the cell. Here's the transmission rate. There's a droplet. It goes there. It replicates DNA and DNA takes over your system. You cough it out. Some of you get like, it, I nailed that one. Same way I, I nailed explaining how babies are made, right? I'm like, mm -hmm. here's the MRI. This is how it works. Mm -hmm. We're good. We got this. Um, when it comes to racism, I struggle because it's not even like I, I struggle to have that conversation because it's so painful and it's almost like I don't want to break down their innocence. The fact that this actually exists in the world, we're privileged to be able to be like, ah, oh, well, maybe I don't even have to have the conversation. I realize that that's not an option anymore. I will have that conversation and she has friends of color. Therefore we will have this conversation. Um, and Adam the other day was taking pictures and he took my camera and he was outside. He took a whole bunch of pictures and it was interesting when I looked at the pictures to see what he was seeing in the world. 
It was very different than what I was seeing. You looked at a knot in the wood. You looked at a specific group of leaves. Like the way children see, the images that they see are very different and very specific. So I know they're seeing stuff. I need to have this conversation and it's going to happen and it's going to be hard to have mm-hmm. that conversation. And it will, however, it is going to happen. So, yeah. um, anyway, yeah, that's just, it's, and it's, I, yeah. And I'll, say, I'll say this, it's probably harder for you to have the conversation than it is for them to get and hear the conversation. Uh, you know, where you're the physiologist, I'm the psychologist, right? And yeah. so they're learning no matter what, you know, you go back to Cooley and his social learning theory, people learn through observation. We know that for a fact. That's how we, you know, you'll, you'll hear me talk about catching them when they're good. But so people are learning through watching what the society, how society is treating people and how we interact with that, how you praise that or criticize that tells them whether it's okay or not okay. And yeah. so you're teaching them no matter what, Greg. Let's just right. be quite honest, right? You're so te- my inaction is teaching them. Right? You're you don't need to worry about this. Yeah, right? And so... I tell you that not as a criticism, but just to recognize that you don't have the luxury of waiting. You've already no. been teaching them, um, no, whether you believe it or not. And so, and it's done, you know, subtly through your acceptance of their friends, your invitation of them into your home, those things, right? And, that, and that's telling them what's okay as well. But it could be done even more explicitly through your conversation, through the art you put in their house, through the kinds of movies and books that you buy and you choose to, the stories you choose to read to them, right? Love it. It doesn't have to be a sit down. This is about race and this is what it means and this is the history of race and this is what happens. No, that's not the way to teach those kids. It's, here's a story about a blue-eyed girl and her dreams, right? Oh, wow. This is a story about a brown, hey, one pony, two pony, three ponies more. This is a story about different girls with different kinds of hair, right? Yeah, very cool then that's amazing because that makes it accessible to anybody. We can all do this tomorrow. It's not uncomfortable. You just, let's talk about differences. Let's just wildly acceptance. Go back to your 1%. Go buy one book that has a brown girl or a brown boy on the front. Yeah, my my wife's uh, dad, their stepdad is uh, an Inuit researcher in Winnipeg. And so he's constantly sending us books from up north. And so we're... um, we have a lot of Inuit books in my house, which we read to the kids, which is kind right. of interesting. Again. So right. it's kind of cool. It. Yeah. Talk to me about, so what, your TED talk went absolutely viral. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that, you know, that's led to a lot of interesting conversations. And so perhaps I was just wondering if you could give us a, a little recap of, of what you spoke about and, you know, what it, and, and, and perhaps, you know, what that might, how we might interpret that in today's, in today's yeah. world and whether that thinking has evolved or, or where you're at on that these days. Yeah. Well, long story short, um, when I was a varsity athlete, I was benched for a long time. Right. And, um, and it, in fact, it, it, it impacted my belief in my ability in myself, which ended up impacting my performance on the field. And so I was a good player. I was benched. And then I became a crappy player because I thought I was bad. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Long story short, it was about my belief in my ability to complete the task, to be a soccer player, influenced my actual actions. And so I wrote about this thing about, or I spoke about, and I started studying self-confidence. The genuine belief to believe in your ability, or the genuine ability to believe that you could complete the task at hand. 
And, and I talked about how do you do it, right? And it's about persistence. It's about resilience. It's about self-talk. It's about catching people when they're good. It's about higher expectations. All of these things led, lead to this self-efficacy. You know, there's a big belief that if your thoughts influence your beliefs, which influence your actions, right? Recognize that. The what you think you will become, you, you, this is your space, right? And what you think you will become, and subsequently, what people see you doing, they will then feed back to you. Man, that guy is great. Look at him. Wow. And then you start, yeah, I am good. The problem is we let people tear us down all the time. Yeah. Right? They, I don't know why you're here. I don't know what you're doing. We let criticism tear us off and take us away from our ability to achieve our goals. We're not willing to persist. We're not willing to say, I got this. And we're also not willing to be uncomfortable and sit in that space of failure. Mm -hmm. And that's part of it, right? You can't get to confidence or grit or resilience without going through that journey and navigating your way through failure. I always say as a high performer is like, sometimes I win, sometimes I learn. <laughs> I like that. I do a lot of learning. <laughs> I do a lot more learning than winning. Hey, the winning comes like once every four years. And in between the four years, it's just a whole heck of a lot of learning. Right. You know, I, I, had the, I had the luxury of just competing in the U20 World Cup qualifiers with Team Guyana that I'm coaching, right? Yeah. We, had, we were on a six-game win streak. It was awesome. We were doing great. And then we just got – we didn't even touch the soccer ball against Haiti. We lost 3 nothing. Right? And everybody was just so disappointed and so depressed because all they were focusing was on the loss right? Instead of all the great things that happened along the way and how much better they were. And that's an important piece for us to always think about. Yeah. All right. So here's a thought for you. Um, have, so I remember during my master's, I was taking endocrinology hormones and I was taking it with Dr. Carol Rogers, who's brilliant. She's amazing. And about halfway through the course, she sat me down and said, Greg, you know, you're clearly not cut out for this. This isn't working. You're not doing very well. You probably need to drop the course. And I was like, there's no way I'm dropping this course. Uh, and I, I, it was a very, very awful six weeks through to the end of that, that class. I ended up passing um, and ultimately getting my master's and ultimately getting my PhD. But there's been several times where people have said like, you can't do this. You know, when I broke my neck, they're like, you're not going to swim again. I swam again. You should quit your master's, not quitting my master's. Like, um, However, that persistence is painful. The moment after someone's like, it's not happening for you, you're like, oh, right? Like it hurts. And it's easy to say, oh, okay, well then forget it. Um, you know, I was watching an interview with Mick Jagger and he, from the Rolling Stones. Now there was moments where he was told like, you're not getting there. And he was like, well, you know, um, and Keith Richards would actually drag him along to make sure that you did, he, they did get there. And so that moment of persistence interests me where you have to shift from, Oh, to no, you know what? I'm actually going to do this. And do you have any insights for us on like that moment of, because yeah. I mean, I think that right now as a, as a world, we're in that moment of like, Oh, like we've just been boom. Now we're awakening. We need to move in a certain direction, pandemic or racism. Um, so it's a, just an interesting thought for me. Like, how do we persist? How do we start down that that very, very difficult road? And so there's several, that's a great question. There's several things that we need to think about for some folks. It's all extrinsic that moment of persistence. It's the people around them, outside of them. It's some external goal or um, thing that's driving them towards them. And so like, oh my God, you failed it. You know, did you have a partner? Did you have two friends? You got this, Greg, come on, man. We're not gonna let that teacher tell us what we're no good at it, yeah. right? Until, 
And because there's a piece where you dip and you want to go home, you want to cry underneath your bed, man. You want to feel sorry for yourself. Yeah. And that's really why it's really important to have a great community that loves you, supports you, believes in you unconditionally. Mm. And that's easier said than done because sometimes you're alone. You're, you're fighting these odds by yourself. You don't have access to, to pick up the phone and call phone a friend. Yeah. But that community is critical. But if you don't have that community, then what, right? And this is where you got to think about it. It's not this one moment like, oh, I'm going to get this. Because you'll have that moment where you're not going to fight. But if you get put down and put down and put down, it takes it away. And this is where I'd say, okay, what tools can we use in that moment to really believe in ourselves? And so this is the thing that's, and I don't know, and I, I go back and forth, right? Is it, is it this thing that we just got this little ember that's in us no matter what because that ember can be put out by people yeah. and so it's how do you decide to blow that that air on it or whatever it is that makes that spark that makes that flame for me when i wanted to quit being a director of athletics when i came i i wrote myself my letter my letter that talked about all my great things i had accomplished right remember when you did this remember when you got your phd by the age of 38 remember when you won a national championship remember when you i it's my own personal brag sheet I, when I was feeling sorry for myself, I pulled out my sheet and I actually reminded myself how great I am. And this is an important point. Some people always, well, doesn't that sound like you're just arrogant? You know, and they're like, no, no, this is confidence. No, 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 that's ego, that's arrogant. I said, here's the difference. When I pull out my sheet to tell myself how great I am, I'm telling myself, that's confidence. Mm. If I pull out my sheet to tell everybody else out there how great I am, that's arrogance. I don't need to share how great I am with everybody else. That's irrelevant. What I need to do is remind myself because I am quitting. They're not going to make me quit. I have to own quitting. And so I have to remind myself, I can do this. And here's why. You know, your question boils so down to cool. Your question boils down to this one thing. It's not one moment, right? Because it's this journey. It's like you don't all of a sudden wake up and say, boom, not for me. I woke up all of a sudden and say, yeah, I can do this job. Yes, that's true. But then I needed these tools in my tool chest to make sure that I got to the end of the journey. So wouldn't it be cool if everyone listening wrote that little letter to themselves and like, you know, just like take that time, write that letter yourself, list your accomplishments, look backwards, all the amazing things you've done, all the things you've overcome, make that list for yourself. Absolutely. You'll find that that will build your confidence. It's interesting, right? The ability to journal and write and you know, I was reading the other day, I don't think, I think it was a Lubomowski study. How about she did, she did a study where um, she had the people who were feeling like they were down in the dumps and couldn't do it and didn't have confidence and were unhappy and depressed. And she was interested in focusing on their happiness and their optimism. And she said, you know what? I want you to write a letter to somebody who's made a big difference to you. I want you to write a gratitude letter and I want you to share that letter with them personally. I want you to read it out loud. Well, when they read that letter out loud, they found that those people's happiness and optimism level was significantly higher a week after they read that letter and even higher a month after they read that letter to the person. That was amazing, right? It's this art of being, of telling yourself, telling others can change. It'd be interesting. You would be watching the physiological symptoms of this and seeing what it is. And if I recall, folks had higher dopamine levels because of this um, experiment. That's so cool. Right? This is your hormone. This is, your, now I'm in your field, right? So, yeah, we're back, jumping yeah. back and forth between chemistry and psychology. <laughs> it's quite cool. Um, 
we're talking a lot about your words defining your reality and largely really the words that you speak to yourself, which is something that I think a lot of people just throw away is like, you know, but your words define your reality. And um, that's basically what I, a lot of what you're saying right now is this like deep understanding of self-talk and talking to yourself positively and building yourself up because the world's going to beat you down. People are, you know, amen. Yeah. Amen. Let me share with you um, a study that changed the way I used affirmations. Now, we know affirmations are buzzwords. They're all out there. This, this. But still, people don't really believe it. They say, ah, it's voodoo. I don't know. A 2006 um, Harvard study. I think, again, um, don't quote me on who it is, but I think, again, it's Lubomowski. They use three affirmations a day, right? People that use three affirmations a day that were in the creative industries, um, arts, uh, marketing. Um, they, they had to produce quality work. Um, they were 16% more productive. What? And I remember, okay, that's not bad. But then they said, but if you're in the diagnostic, if you're in the complex problem solving, right, you had to solve problems like architecture or, you know, anal anything analytical, I'm sure engineering, medical field, they were able to solve complex problems 29% faster. People who use three positive statements a day. And then the one that really got me, if you were in the sales industry, revenue generation, three affirmations a day, you yielded a 37% increase in sales. I mean, that's, if the science doesn't speak for itself right there, it's not about voodoo. That's absolutely crazy that, I mean, I know because I had these, um, <clears throat> when I was a swimmer, I would break down my races into quarters and each quarter of the race. So I was a tuner backstroker, four lengths, 50 meters each. I'd have a word for each. I'd memorize them, come off the wall. That word would pop in my head. That's what I would do. So, I mean, I've been using chatter at myself for a long time. Um, yeah. And I know now very, very clearly when I'm speaking to myself positively. And I know sometimes I'm super hard on myself too. And I need to be very careful. As all that. high performers are, right? Yeah. As all high performers are, yeah. And so this self-compassion thing is something I'm playing with a lot lately, which is interesting. It, it, it is, eh? It's interesting that, um, you know, we call in sports psych um, this thing about high performers. We know that they, have, um, they tend to want to be perfect. And perfection at the other end results in this thing called maladaptive perfectionism, mm. right? Not sure if you've heard of that, right? It's this place where they have this paralysis. They can't let go of being good enough. And, and, it, and it, the most gifted amongst students and high school students and stuff are the ones sometimes that are the ones least likely to succeed because they see how it could be done so much better that they're unwilling to do it good enough. Mm -hmm. and, it, and we have to guard against that, um, not just in ourselves, but especially in our kids and the people that we lead. Yeah, very, very interesting. So moving forwards now, um, few practical takeaways. Let's sort of, I'm sensitive to your time. Um, oh, like I've, I've loved this. We'll have to do it again because it's so interesting. Um, and then I've got one, I will wrap up one with one other question right, right at the end, because I'm just sort of curious. Um, but just a few takeaways with regards to self-confidence, the ability to actually make a difference, to do something that's challenging. Um, we, we've asked people to do a lot of very difficult things today and, and a lot of difficult thinking, but I'm just sort of curious, like if you want to actually move yourself towards doing something that's tough, um, you've got this, right? Like how do we, how do we take that idea and really just sort of apply it to us doing some hard things, which we're all going to need to do in the next little while? Yeah, let me give you three keys, right? Number one, get away from the people who will tear you down, okay? 
And what I mean by that, there's people who are going to give you negative feedback and people who will give you critical feedback. Discern the difference. Negative feedback is people that are, oh, this won't work. That's a crazy idea. What are you thinking? All right. Critical feedback. This won't work. Have you tried this? Mm. This won't work. How about this idea? Right. The sour naysayer, the, the, the people that suck your energy, get away from them. Right. Doesn't mean that you can't get critical people who are willing to criticize, but also compliment and suggest alternatives. And construct. So that's number one, yeah. Right. Number two, and, and I think this is really key, and we talked about it a little bit, remind yourself how great you are. Whether that's affirmations, whether that's a self-confidence letter, whether that's praise, whether that's a gratitude letter, you have to invest and fill your own tank. If you don't do it, who will? Right? And that's an important piece. And number three, and I think this is important, Accept that you're a high performer and that failure is a part of the journey of anybody who is a high performer. Be comfortable in being uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. All right. Dr. Robin Hanley Defoe was on this podcast and she talked about getting comfortable with being uncomfortable. That's a, a really powerful idea. I actually um, find that my thoughts are more clear when I'm uncomfortable, when I'm out riding and I'm into hour three and I'm starting to get depleted and I'm, you know, I'm suffering a little bit. That's when there's not a lot of room for additional thinking. So that discomfort I actually enjoy, which yeah. is kind of strange. It's a masochist way of speaking. Yeah, it's I, a problem. I, I, never, I never enjoy it. I, I like it to always be good. <laughs> That's funny. Um, final thought that I have for you, you, you are responsible for renovating Maple Leaf Gardens, which is, yes. an, I, so for everyone listening around the world, I live in Toronto, um, in Toronto, the number one sport, the religion basically is hockey. The, um, the place where the Toronto Maple Leafs played for decades was Maple Leaf Gardens. It's where they won Stanley Cups many, many years ago. I'm a Montreal Canadiens fan, so I, I it, you know, it is what it is, but, um, you were responsible for renovating, um, that iconic sports location. It's just like, that must've been a lot of pressure. Um, like just wanted to bring that up and just throw it out there and just see like any comments you have about that. Cause that was you. So kind of neat. It's, it's funny that you mention this because um, our reference was Montreal forum. We didn't want to get it wrong. Every, when, you, when they renovated Montreal forum, everybody complained about that because they put hotels in it and they changed its magic. And so recognize the two people that were leading that was my president, a young Jewish president and this guy from the Caribbean, the director of athletics. And I remember when we had this first thing and, and the first draft didn't look anything like what it was. And he goes to me, what do you think? And because we, we were only going to spend like maybe 30 or 40 million. And I said, Sheldon, this is, he's now the deputy minister. I'm like, this building will be known. We will live with this reputation as the Jewish guy and the black guy who ruined Maple Leaf Garden, <laughs> all the hockey players in the world. <laughs> Long story short, the budget went to $100 million. <laughs> Good for you. Well done. That's, that's, that's the story we were looking for. Right on. Um, what's next, Doc? What are you working on? What's, uh, what's the future hold for you? It's a, it's a great question. Um, so I'm here in Halifax and I'm loving it. And so my next step is to try and figure out what my next step is. Okay. You know, this moment right now with all this change is making me think about changing my career path yeah. um, to making more of an intentional effort to be um, an advocate for change in my community. 
here I am as a vice president, a PhD, and, and what am I really doing? How can I play a role in delivering and, and creating a leadership program for men of color, um, especially that from that 18 to 25 age group? And so um, I'm having my own epiphany, uh, catharsis moment here. Is this what I'm supposed to be doing? Should I be doing more? So stay tuned. Um, clearly, I've got, you know, my own website, drivanjoseph.com. I'm leading leadership. I'm, I've got a book coming out. Um, the Truth About Lying is I'm working on a book right now, which is an interesting title. Um, you know, if you go to my website, it'll be coming up live soon. You, you can download a, um, a copy of my uh, You Got This Chapter One. Always selling, eh, Greg? <laughs> <laughs> Always selling. It's all good. My son loves your book, by the way. He's four, five. So oh, I love it. Yeah. Love it. But yeah, that's next. I'm sure you will make a huge difference. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening, everyone. It's time to get active. It's time to get off the sidelines. It's time to get involved. It's time to have the conversations. It's time to learn. It's time to listen. It's time to systematically dismantle racism around the world and we can't be bystanders. Um, we've got to do what we need to do to have the conversations we need to have to make the world a place where anyone can reach their potential regardless of the color of their skin. And we will do that together and we will move forwards. And I'm not perfect. I've made mistakes. I probably made mistakes on even that podcast we just had there. But we're going to make progress together and we're going to do it through love, compassion, empathy, and gratitude. And I'm grateful for you listening, grateful for you still being around. As you can tell, I'm probably you know, like I'm pretty emotional even right now, just having had the opportunity to have that conversation and confront the reality of the way that the world is for so many people. And um, I'm going to change it or do my little part to change it. Starting with the conversation I'm going to walk downstairs and have with, um, with my kids. And it's going to be a nice positive one. It's going to be age appropriate, but we're going to have a very different dinner conversation tonight that we would have otherwise. Thanks for being here. Thanks for being part of the journey. Thanks for listening. And if you've ever um, wanted to share an episode, this is the one. Please share this. Um, let's make a difference together. Thanks so much. Have a great week. Let's improve the world. Let's get through these pandemics and let's make the world a better place by reimagining the future. Thanks so much, everyone. Talk to you soon.